So today we are going to be hearing from one of my heroes. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 about the church being like a body. And he says, in a body, the bits that you can't see are actually the most important bits of the body. And they're the ones that should receive the most honor. I mean, for example, you can't see your heart, but that's a very important part of your body. You can't see your brain. That's another important part of the body. And it's the same in the church. The parts that you can see are important. Worship leaders are important. All that's very important. But he says even more important and worthy of double honor are the people who work behind the scenes. And one of the people who works behind the scenes is the person here who heads up our team of vergers. And they are a phenomenal team. They so we're on, as I say, we're on six sites, and uh, up till today, six sites, and they look after all those sites, they put out the chairs, but much more than that, they run the whole grounds and everything right across those sites. They, are, they work phenomenally hard. They're up early in the morning, they work late at night, and uh, they, have, they have a real heart to serve. And they are headed by someone who I think is the most remarkable man. He happens also to be our neighbour. He's married to Nadine. They have three children. Would you give a very warm welcome to Hilton Sunday. Hilton, come and join us. Hilton, first of all, thank you for being such a phenomenal neighbour. And the, I, don't, I mean, I just don't know how we'd have got through the pandemic without you and your family. Sorry for all the noise our kids make, Nikki. They are We <laughs> absolutely much. love your children. 14-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 5-year-old. And um, I, your 5-year-old, I was very amused um, because the 5-year-old came looking for me one day and she knocked on the door. My wife, Pippa, answered the door and she said to Pips, is your daddy in? <laughs> Very flattering for Pips, not quite so flattering for me. Nikki, I've had much worse from them, Nikki. I've had much worse. Um, now, Hilton, you're an extraordinary person because actually, we'll come to this later, but you've got two degrees in theology and you have a, an amazing knowledge of the Bible. And one of the things I discovered is that every morning and every evening you recite a passage of the Bible to your children. I think recently you've been doing Colossians 1, 15 to 20, all about Jesus. And I'd love you to recite it to this congregation as you would recite it. Imagine they're your children and just say what you, would, what you say to them when you recite it. Why don't you start with a tough question, Nikki? That's, um, yeah. Um, I do that every morning and night to remind myself of the supremacy of Jesus. And it says, um, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Shall I continue? Keep going, help me. And he is the head of the body, the church. For God was pleased 
sorry, and um, sorry, Nikki. <laughs> now you're doing brilliantly, Hilton. <laughs> he is um, the beginning. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amazing, Hilton. Thank you so mm. much. I know. It's all good. All good. I, I don't... You know, I don't know God's, all of God's plans, but I know that he is supreme. He's preeminent over everything. And COVID looks like a Goliath, but we know he is bigger than any Goliath we face. And he is in control. Yeah, that's my, that's my reassurance. Yeah. Amazing, Hilton. Amazing um, to focus on Jesus every day, morning and evening in that way. And now, let's go back to your, to your uh, childhood growing up, growing up in, in apartheid South Africa where you were part of the oppressed uh, people there. Just say a little bit about that. Yes, I was born in 1976. So that's the year when apartheid took a very violent turn. I think the world started seeing what a brutal regime we had. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I consider myself very privileged because... By the time I reached high school in 1990, Nelson Mandela was released from prison, yeah. and around that time, things started changing. By the time we hit 1994, and we had our first free and fair elections, I was 18, and the next week, I got to vote. Yeah. The first person in my family that could go out and just vote freely. So, a very blessed generation. But prior to that, some of your family had been imprisoned in the fight against apartheid? Yes, my family are very involved in the freedom struggle. Um, I'm so proud of them. Um, they are legends within South Africa. Um, Uncle Paul went to prison for a while, and even coming out of prison um, as a teacher, he went back to teach um, young offenders. Um, these are the kind of people I have in my family, so super proud of them, yeah. And in your, just say a little bit about your father, because it's Father's Day today. But you had yeah. quite a tough time. Yeah, so he passed away when I was six. Mm. He um, got cancer. And then it was just mum and the three of us children. And I mean, tough. Single mums are tough like no one else. <laughs> I have so much respect. Um, and she got us through, through life. And you, you went to university. But then you went, you went to one university, got a theology degree. But then you went to Stellenbosch, which is the like, premier university in South Africa, but one that had been barred if to someone from your background prior to Nelson Mandela. Yes, so um, I guess here you'd call us um, dual heritage or mixed heritage, not white, not black. Um, and the longest time that would have been uh, a no-go for us. You couldn't go there. Lots of places you just couldn't go. But by the time I graduated school, it was open, and I decided to, to study theology there. This was a place where a lot of our worst theology had come out of. Um, they supported um, churches who were preaching segregation. Um, and I went with lots of questions. And um, not all of them answered, but, you know. 
still continuing to learn. And so you did a second degree there? Did my master's at Stellenbosch. You did a master's there. But then you've come here, and for 20 years, you have served um, on the Verges team, heading up the Verges, uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I hope you... Uh, well, we're planning to get him ordained soon, but still. Um, but, um, but the last 20 years, you've, you've done this. Yes. Um, that wasn't the plan, though. I, I signed up for six months. I came to London on my honeymoon and overstayed a bit. And it's been 20 years now. And um, as we were planning our travels, and, and um, I was walking down the street one day in Wembley, and I just heard God say, you know, apply to HDB. And I wasn't sure about that, but I wanted to be obedient, so I did the process and said, okay, just, just six months, I'll just do whatever you need around the place. Um, and that turned into 20 years. But you're a remarkable example of servant leadership. Um, you know, the world should follow your example, Hilton, because what you've done with the team there is absolutely extraordinary. I think of Joe O'Sullivan, who came here. Um, was he about 20 years of age? Oh, younger. Yeah, he, was, he looked about 12 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and go on, just, say, say, just tell the story of Joe. I don't know if we got a picture of him. but Yeah, it's... Joe came to us via some work we were doing on the estates. And someone asked me to meet up with him. And it was really bad. He didn't dress well. He was just talking a lot of nonsense. And I looked at him and thought, you know, if, if we don't give him a shot, an opportunity, no one else will. You know, there's that, that bit of wisdom that we, I think I've learned on one of our leadership conferences that says we are meant to love people and use things and never love things and use people and in an interview you're looking at yes what this person offers but also how can we love on you how can we develop you and in Joe we thought yeah here's someone we could develop and we're so proud of him now yeah. you <coughs> you trained him for like seven seven years or something yeah yeah and then he went off to train for ordination in the yes. Church of England and next week I think he will be ordained as a minister in the Church Absolutely. of England. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, that's uh, having a team around him. I don't take credit for, for all of that. But it's him being around our families, him being around really mature men of faith within the team who are just pouring out love and wisdom every day. Now, one of the things Joe has said to me is that he would not have got married if he hadn't seen an example of good marriage in you. And uh, he wouldn't have wanted to be a father if he hadn't seen your model of being a father. And you, you're a, you are a remarkable father to these three children. Just say a little bit about, about that story of that. Um, so our family started um, one day when I was in front of my um, computer and heard God say, I'd like you to adopt. Just that, I remember that, that, that phrase. And... With the Holy Spirit in us, you know, I think we give the right response to God. And I said, yes, um, definitely do that. But would you mind telling the dean yourself? Um, I didn't want us to go away and with pen and paper work out the pros and cons. We had a one-bedroom flat. We weren't earning much. Um, not sure where in the world we were going to be next. Um, and I just left it. And a few months later at um, Focus, our church holiday, the dean just turned to me after a, a talk I said, do you think we should adopt? I feel like we should adopt. I was like, finally, here we go. Let's do this. And we started a process of, and it took a long time, 
Um, it wasn't easy, seven years of trying to explore this and make it happen. Um, and God was so faithful. And then Dean, um, while midway through the process, they asked us, what are we looking for? And I said, no, anything, doesn't matter where the child comes from, doesn't matter about disabilities. And Dean said, no, it's a boy, and we are getting him before Christmas. And um, in those days, adoptions were very slow, but in eight months from start to end, we got a boy before Christmas. Um, God was so faithful. And now you have three children, two of them adopted? Yes, two adopted, one homemade. Um, he's, our, he's our little DIY baby. And um, got my hands full, Nick. You need to pray for me. That's, uh... But you, I mean, I've seen you. You're an absolutely amazing father, and your children are amazing children. Um, but just to say, because not having a model for yourself of your father beyond the age of six, how have you managed to be such a good father? I don't think I'm the greatest dad on earth. Um, do my best. I fail every day. It's, it's um, trial and error. But we've got this um, model with God, isn't it? Um, Martin Luther said um, in his write-up of the, the Lord's Prayer, he says, if we can simply understand those first two words of the Lord's Prayer in the way that Jesus understands it, then the rest of life will fall into place. And so, for me, it's, it's about that, looking to our Father. And in our family, we have this, um, this saying that we teach our kids from the moment that they can talk. We say that in our family, we share everything except germs. <laughs> and that's done well for us during COVID. Um, we share everything. And so, whatever God shares with me, I'm, I'm trying to pour out into them the love, the time that God gives me. I'm giving them time. Um, the patience, the forgiveness, the instruction. I'm just trying to share that with them. God just um, said the other day to me um, that we should get rid of our old sofa. He's going to give us a new one. Don't buy one. He'll give us one. And I got the kids to pray because um, that's what I do. God said to me, so I'm saying it to you. You need to pray. And a few weeks later, we have a new sofa and they have this experience of God working, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's my, my, my takeaway. I, I just share whatever God is doing in my life with them. And your knowledge of Scripture is extraordinary. I mean, you, you recited the Colossians at the beginning. but you're, Sorry I messed it up, Nikki. I, uh, the pressure. It was such a relief. I think everyone was so relieved that you didn't get it perfect. Otherwise, we'd have all felt even more inadequate. I uh, know. But, but the Bible, you, you, you have such a rich knowledge of the Bible. And no one will forget the, the talk that you gave at... Uh, our staff uh, meeting one time. You have this ex depth of knowledge of the Bible. Just say a little bit about how you develop your relationship with God as Father. Um, honestly, it's because I feel weak most of the time that his words are what strengthens me and I need them like I need a heartbeat. It is... Um, not through my strength that I remember these things, it's just out of necessity and just desperation. Um, and that's where I, where I start. And when I start at that point of weakness, he seems to lift me up, fills me with the Holy Spirit, and takes me from there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pure necessity and wanting to serve him that I, I do this. Um, yeah, this, this, I can't claim anything better than that. <laughs> and you mentioned the Holy Spirit there. You started by talking about Jesus' supremacy of Jesus. You talked about mm. 
the loving Father. Say a little bit more about the Holy Spirit because and your experience, your initial experience. The Holy Spirit is what empowers us. I, I've been to many churches and when we arrived in London, that very first day, um, a friend brought us to HDB. We sat up in the corner over there and from stage, the prayer came out, come Holy Spirit. And I thought, that's it. That's how you do ministry, isn't it? Just come Holy Spirit. It worked. There was no you know, smoke and lights or anything. I just felt, yeah, God is here. Um, Is there, a, is there a spare mic? We could just... Brilliant. Look out, spare everything. Here we go. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Um, I just felt strengthened. And that um, is essential. I mean, trying to serve God without the Holy Spirit is trying to like, operate without batteries. You know, it's, it doesn't work. And what I found just in my life is you want to please God. You so much want to. You, you try and do his will, and you fail, so you say sorry, and you ask forgiveness, and you try again, and you fail, and you say sorry, and you do that roller coaster for a few times before you throw your hands up and say, this doesn't work, and I can't go on. And we, that's not the, the plan. The plan is to be filled with his spirit and then accomplish his will. I, I link it to Lazarus, you know, Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb. He's dead his eardrums don't work, his legs don't work. No matter how much he wants to obey Jesus' call to get out of that tomb, there's no way he can do that. But the call of Jesus to get up and walk also has the power of the Holy Spirit with it. Yeah. And so Lazarus is able to get out of that tomb because he's got that Holy Spirit's power. And so for me, um, you know, I like to have the Holy Spirit on tap because Whatever God's got planned, I, I'm going to need him to help me through it. Yeah. And, and, th and th Nikki, our family life, it's complex, it's tough, but wherever God has guided us, he's provided everything we've needed, um, and that's how we, how we function. Hilton Sunday, you're a hero. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.